0: Welcome to The Hut Near the Bog, the podcast where a life and business coach and a philosopher discuss various aspects of human existence by drawing on the wisdom of Ireland, as well as their own expertise and life experiences. In this episode, we explore encouragement. Sheila begins by telling us what encouragement is and why it is so important we then look at what one might consider to be the basis for encouraging others, namely, respect. Comparing the philosophies of Thomas Hobbes and Immanuel Kant, we see that respecting others is not only a good thing to do, it is also our duty, and thus we learn that to encourage is to respect one another as equals. Sheila then tells us about some Gaelic expressions of encouragement, and her earliest experiences of encouragement while growing up in rural Ireland. We also learn about the difference between praise and encouragement and why the latter is a much more powerful force for change. In the final part, Sheila outlines how she uses encouragement to prepare her clients for interviews in her role as a life and business coach. Hi Sheila, how are you?
1: I'm very well James. I'm really enjoying the weather And something else I'm really enjoying is feeding five little calves every morning and evening. I've been doing that for the last couple of months and I have really enjoyed watching them grow and thrive. And it's a way of interacting with nature and I'm thoroughly enjoying that. How have you been keeping, James?
0: Yeah, I'm very well at the moment. Um, I'm busy, as usual, developing my skills. So I've started to develop my marketing skills along with my editing skills and I finally got to see my partner, which was a really joyful occasion. And yeah, so I'm feeling very good and I'm feeling quite hopeful and encouraged at the moment. And that got me thinking about encouragement itself. And I was wondering, what is encouragement for you and why do you think it's important?
1: OK, I believe I could describe encouragement as many different things. One thing is, I believe encouragement is given somebody the power to take the next step and to develop skills that mightn't be developed had they not got that encouragement. I also believe that encouragement is the equivalent of sunshine and, and rain to flowers uh, in human beings. In other words, when somebody is encouraged, they often blossom fully. And if you think about what the rain and sunshine does for flowers it first of all activates the seed to enable them to grow and I believe that's what encouragement does for human beings and I believe it's a tremendous privilege to be part of that process and obviously the person does it for themselves but you let them know that you see the potential in them and oftentimes that's all we need is someone to say to us I believe you can do this And as a result of that, then you support them and help them work through the process. And that's absolutely amazing. And it allows people to develop their full potential. You also asked me, why is it important? Well, it's important for that very reason that sometimes seeds of potential can lie dormant in people if they don't get the encouragement. And I believe, looking around and over the years, I have seen so much wasted potential, whereas I believe if those people had got the encouragement at the right time that they too could have become all that they were capable of becoming. Uh, For example, a really good example, I think, is a young man who was born into abject poverty. He His father died in the First World War and he was less than one year old. His mother was illiterate and she was also partly deaf. And as a result, his future didn't look very bright. However, that young man was very lucky because he met a teacher who saw the potential in this young man and helped him to blossom. And as a result of that, obviously, the teacher supported him through the process. As it happened, that young man achieved the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1957. And obviously, that was an amazing achievement. But by his own acknowledgement, he said he would never have achieved that without uh, the help of his teacher and the encouragement. And he wrote a famous letter of gratitude to his teacher, explaining that without him, this could never have been possible. Now, if you think about that, think about the reward was that was in that for the teacher. He must have felt so good about himself that he had activated potential in another human being. And as a result of activating that potential in him, he gave the world so many pieces of literature that were considered top-notch. And also he was a brilliant thinker. Now, that young man was Albert Camus. And I think that that's a great privilege, both for the teacher and the pupil.
0: Yes, Albert Camus is an excellent thinker and writer. I've read a good bit of his work and I've really enjoyed it. I'm just wondering then, is there anything from the other side of it that you've come across? Any stories about discouragement that you have?
1: Unfortunately, James, I have come across a number. One that stood out that I have to say upset me. I was delivering a personal development course one day and this really nice man who was at this time in his 60s and he told us the story of a, a time when he was a young man and he was in school. And one particular teacher felt, it discouraged him, to be honest. He, of, he said he often put up his hand and the teacher would say to him, take down your hand, what would you know? And he encouraged people who... Came from higher social status, and he believed it was because he came from a lower social status that that teacher. Uh, disencouraged him which is a total tragedy and the reality is that that person could have reached his full potential had he been encouraged and there's the tragedy and you know if you think about teaching it's such an amazing profession when it's done well and when teachers realize that Their duty is to create a motivating and stimulating learning environment where every pupil gets the opportunity to grow and develop to their full potential. In fact, I believe that the way that teacher treated that child was quite disrespectful of the pupil. What do you think the philosophers would have to say about that, James? James.
0: Well, I think a lot of different philosophers would have a lot of different things to say about this. But I think one thing that comes particularly to mind is the idea of respect and dignity. And clearly in one case, the case of Albert Camus, the teacher had a lot of respect for his student and encouraged him to be the best he could be. And in the other case, the the client that you would come across in your dealings, the teacher had very little or no respect for that person and therefore did not encourage them. And I think it's useful to think about what is respect and when are we required to respect one another. And to do that, we could look at two philosophers. I think one is Thomas Hobbes and the other is Immanuel Kant. And Hobbes, I think, exemplifies a case of whereby, well, at least it would justify the poor teacher's behaviour. Let's put it that way. And Kant would think that his behavior was immoral or wrong. So the reason why Hobbes would, would, I'm not saying that Hobbes would have explicitly endorsed it, but at least his way of thinking would have endorsed it, was because for him, respect is not something that is given to us inherently, but rather is something that is either earned or is something that we inherit from our forebears and the reason why is because Hobbes saw value as something that is inherently tied to society it's not something that exists outside of society and therefore it has no objective basis so value is something that's purely determined by the way society is structured so if you're someone from the lower part of a society then you don't deserve as much dignity or respect as someone from the higher the higher echelons or someone who has Achieved a lot, and that would be Hobbes's thinking, whereas Kant, on the other hand, would disagree fundamentally with that point of view because he didn't think that morality in society or value in society are necessarily the very same thing. It's not to say that some things are become valuable because of the role they play in society, but rather that value as in moral value is something that exists independently of society so for Kant moral value is objective in that sense and the reason why he thinks it's objective is because he believes in this um, higher plane called the categorical imperative and the categorical imperative according to Kant is the source of all moral thinking and the only way you can get to that moral plane of thinking is through reason through your reason as a human or indeed any being who has rational capacities so in Kant's view the reason why we are valuable is because we have the capability to be rational and make the right decisions in life for Kant that made us valuable inherently and is all value that's also inalienable in other words it's value that can't be taken away whereas in Hobbes view value of course because it is an objective is something that can be taken away or if your your status changes in society your, your value will change and so therefore your dignity will change but for Kant because we all have the capacity to be moral or to make the right decisions then we are all equal fundamentally and that in Kant's view that demands that we all respect one another equally so we can see from the point of view of Albert Camus that clearly that teacher would well it's not not necessarily saying that that teacher was a kantian philosopher although i wouldn't be surprised if he came across kant at some point or another but clearly kant would endorse his approach to teaching whereas um he certainly wouldn't have uh, endorsed the other teacher's approach to teaching and so i suppose the main thing to take from that is that dignity is something for Kant it's something that is inherent and inalienable and we all have dignity on an equal level and whereas for Hobbes it's not something that's inalienable or inherent it's something purely determined by the value you have in a particular society. Does that make sense Sheila?
1: Yeah it does make sense uh, James and it's it's interesting when you bring the philosophy into it and the the different thinkers that you can see clearly that one is on one side and the other is almost on the opposite side, uh, I can see Hobbes written all over the second example I gave you, whereas I can see Kant certainly written over. Uh, the Albert Camus one
0: yes and in, indeed and um, interestingly enough of course these are two major thinkers in philosophy so their philosophies would have filtered down through the generations and has certainly affected how we all think about society and how things are structured but Kant is a very interesting one because his philosophy is often recognised as the forebear of, of human rights and and a lot of human rights activists would be committed Kantians as well, or at least Kantian philosophers. So, and I think that that's a, a, an, that, that idea that we are all fundamentally equal, that we all have a, a, an equal amount of dignity at a fundamental level, is a common idea today, but it comes from Immanuel Kant. And, you know, I was, I was wondering, do you think that there's anything from the Irish tradition that is compatible with that point of view?
1: Yeah, I believe there are a number of old Irish sayings that probably endorse uh, some of the Kantian philosophy, in particular. And one of those sayings is, "On aught a I mean on dolus, being on in which means that. Sometimes when there's sorrow, the comfort comes uh, with it. It's not too far away. So people who are going through a difficult time, uh, oftentimes the comfort is just around the corner. In other words, what it really translates into is every cloud has a silver lining. Okay, whether that's fact or fiction, I'm not sure, but that's what the Irish would have thought. Another one is, no coil the no coil the which means don't lose heart. And I think that's a lovely saying when you think about people who might be discouraged. If somebody just gets them at that point and says to them, don't lose heart, that could be enough to. Set them alight and to think about what all they had, even though they're going through a difficult patch. And again, I think both of those sayings are quite apt.
0: Absolutely beautiful.
1: Yeah. And then there's another saying that my mother used regularly, and that saying is Is lore of war a dealish? Is lore of war a dealish? Which means it's all you can do is your best. And I think that's lovely. And that was her philosophy. It's all you can do is your best. Which again was encouraging really. That she didn't expect more than you were capable of doing.
0: That's really interesting. Because I was actually going to ask you about your mum. And you know from your early experiences. what, What were your earliest experiences of encouragement. And clearly. Your mum played a massive role in that. So I was wondering, could you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, the interesting thing, I think, as a child, you don't realise you're being encouraged because, look, my mother was very encouraging. Now, on reflection and looking back, I realised that she was really very encouraging. I didn't see it then as encouragement. Uh, For example, my mother had a particular knack in noticing The talents her children had. And I believe as a result of her noticing the talents that each of us had, she encouraged us to activate those talents and uh, continuously. Incre- it allowed us to continuously, incrementally improve, which I believe was extremely important. She noticed I had a flair for knitting, of all things. I particularly enjoyed knitting. She saw that I was interested in it. And as a result of she seeing that I was interested in it, she encouraged me to start knitting jumpers and cardigans. She started at a very basic um, level where she just got me to learn the basic stitches. And that was great. I was so overjoyed when I achieved my uh, first jumper, that I had knitted my first jumper. But my mother was very clever in that she realised that I had done that and I had done it without that much effort. So she created a new challenge for me she decided to get a more complicated pattern and she got me to work through that. And each time I was producing at a different level and that was because she was encouraging me until eventually, and it didn't take that long, that she had me knitting iron sweaters. And that is quite a complicated pattern for a young girl. However, because she incrementally helped me to improve, I found that this was a challenge, but I was able to work through that challenge. And I think that's really great encouragement when you think about it. Uh, The interesting thing about my mother was, I would say that she wasn't that good at praise. And I often wondered why she perhaps didn't praise us a little bit more. But I think she knew that encouragement is much better than praise. And before I go into that a little bit more, for example, I just want to tell you just I have several siblings, but I noticed that not alone was she incrementally encouraging me at the knitting. But for example, one of my sisters was particularly good at milking cows. And in those days, you milked by hand. And I I found that a, a total chore. I wasn't really good at it but she realised that another sister had the capacity to do this and she got her doing that and she was so good at doing it and could do it in very short time. So I think that that is a skill in itself and I think it's, it's uh, very appropriate to use it as incremental encouragement, which is really important.
0: So why do you think your mum didn't praise you that much?
1: Okay, I think uh, my mother was clever in that often at times she'd be afraid we'd get too big for our boots. (laughs) That was uh, something that was often said in rural Ireland. That person might get too big for their boots. And I believe that she didn't see the end result. She saw her job as supporting us through the process. And as a result, our talents were being developed into skills. So she didn't see praise as something that she needed to do. And in retrospect, I think she was right because I believe that praise is something that's given for the end result, is given for the end result. And it's often given in accordance with the giver's values. So something that I might think is brilliant, somebody else might think it's that brilliant at all. So I believe that encouragement is really the fuel that allows humans to thrive whereas praise is can be conditional uh, i believe encouragement is something that helps another human being worked through a process and I think that's extremely important to understand the difference between praise and encouragement and if I could even bring it down I remember uh, often watching youngsters coming off the field and somebody might say lost a match for example and somebody might say oh hard luck lads okay which I believe in hindsight probably wasn't the correct thing to say That in other words, we were we're almost saying to them that, you know, that even though you lost, it was good. It was good. Hard luck, lads. But I think that might not have been the correct approach. I think a much better approach would have been we lost today. Why did we lose and what can we do to enable us to win the next day, for example? And I think that that would be analysing and encouraging the person and obviously the team to look at where they might have possibly gone wrong and how they could improve that in the future. I think that would be working them through the process instead of commenting on the end result or indeed they might say, well done lads and at that stage I believe the youngsters might think that they had done extremely well and that they were at a level that they didn't need to improve and uh, as a result of getting this praise sometimes they become addicted to it and when they can't live up to the expectations they feel disempowered and I believe that praise can disempower people uh, whereas I believe encouragement can empower people does that make any sense?
0: It does make sense, I'm just wondering though surely sometimes it's okay to praise people, is it
1: Well, I have to say, at this point in my life, I believe that praise can work in the reverse, so I don't know about praise i i i I have serious reservations about it at this stage, and it's something that is very much discouraged in coaching because Uh, At the end of the day, our job is to encourage them to work through a process, to support them through that process. And at the end of the day, when they achieve it, they have achieved it through their own efforts.
0: Yeah, so I I, I certainly see where you're coming from. And I think it's an interesting point. I'm not fully convinced that we shouldn't praise other people as of yet, but perhaps as the discussion develops, I'll, I'll sway further to your point of view. I'm just wondering then if, you know, you, you clearly had some very good experiences of encouragement in your earlier life. What about later life? Was there anything in particular that you felt really gave you a good insight into encouragement and its importance?
1: Yes, uh, there was definitely an organization that did it for me. And that was Toastmasters. And uh Toastmasters is an international organization where members get the opportunity to develop their listening, thinking and speaking skills. And I can honestly say that Toastmasters gave me a voice and a value. And I believe that that voice has enabled me to talk in situations that I might have shun away from had I not joined Toastmasters. For example... I found that when my mother departed this life, I was asked to do the eulogy and I got the opportunity to honour the life that she had lived. And that's a tremendous privilege. Now, I can honestly say I couldn't have done that without having joined Toastmasters. So I am really grateful to Toastmasters.
0: So, yeah, it sounds like a really good organisation. Can you tell us a little bit more about Toastmasters?
1: Yes, James, I can. I believe if I were to tell you what the mission statement is from Toastmasters, that that would give you a very good insight into what Toastmasters is about. And the mission of a Toastmasters club is to provide a mutually supportive and positive learning environment in which every member has the opportunity to develop communication and leadership skills, which in turn fosters self-confidence and personal growth.
0: Excellent. So how, do, how does that work?
1: It works that people join from all walks of life and people's communication skills are at different levels. But the whole premise of Toastmasters is to encourage people to take the next step. I believe that what it does is it allows us to polish our strengths and develop our weaknesses. For example, the basic manual is where you give 10 different speeches. The first one being the icebreaker, where you break the ice. And I've often seen people tremble when they get up to give that particular speech. However, there is always someone to evaluate it who will encourage them and will acknowledge where they need to improve, but will certainly tell them what they did well. And they will also empathise with them by basically saying perhaps that When I gave my Toastmasters or when I gave my icebreaker speech, I too was very nervous. But it's a process you have to work through. And then basically there's a whole lot of other speeches. For example, show what you mean when you give a demonstration. And at that stage, that's about stage four, which you're beginning to find your feet at that point. And it culminates in inspire your audience which obviously it's an inspirational speech and by that point you have concentrated on so many different aspects of speaking that you feel quite empowered to give that speech and again you're constantly getting evaluation obviously there are also a number of other roles for example there's impromptu speaking skills which you have no opportunity to prepare in advance but it's really good from the perspective that it gets you to think and speak logically under pressure. And obviously, then the different roles like Toastmaster, Topics Master, that because you're running an effective meeting as well as developing your communication skills. So it's all about incremental improvement and getting the opportunity to fill in in all the different roles. And that obviously is helping you to develop as a communicator and also as a leader.
0: Very good. So what do you think are the parallels between that and your early experiences?
1: I believe there are a number of parallels. First of all, it's all about incremental improvement. It's about challenge you to the next level. All of the speeches challenges you up a notch. And you're concentrating on a different aspect of speaking. And that's exactly what my mother did. She challenged me to the next level when it came to the knitting. And I was challenged to the next level all of the time when I was giving a speech. And I remember when I joined Toastmasters and some of the more seasoned Toastmasters, I was literally in awe of them. I thought they were just so amazing. And yet there came a time when I had the same level of proficiency as they had. And obviously that was because I worked through a program, but I was supported by the other members to do so.
0: Yes, I remember when you were going to Toastmasters when I was a child and I remember how enthusiastic you were about it.
1: I was very enthusiastic. All right. And that was for a number of reasons. First of all, I could see that I was developing as a Toastmaster. And secondly, it was such a cooperative spirit. It was like almost like the old Mehel system in Ireland, where there was a range of different skills and everybody was utilising their skills and helping others to utilise them as well. And I thought it was one of the most cooperative organisations that I have ever been involved in. And I I truly believe that there was a huge amount of similarities between Toastmasters and the Mehel system.
0: Yeah, no, it certainly sounds like the the this, the old cooperative labor system that existed in old Ireland. And speaking of old Ireland, you know, you described how your mother was so instrumental in terms of encouraging all of you to develop your skills and to push forward and. Uh, was a very inspirational figure and do you think that women in general in that era do you think what role do you think they played in pushing Irish society forward
1: well I believe they played an extraordinary role I believe that they were almost ahead of their time and one thing I really remember was when education came to the fore and when there were opportunities for more education women saw that as a way of developing our potential and they saw it in many ways as liberation as well and they encouraged it to the last and I believe that as a result of encouraging it quite a few people started to go to third level education and I believe a survey that was done suggests that people who came from rural Ireland, they had such a good work ethic and they were used to working through a process that many of them did extraordinarily well in university. And again I believe that was a tribute to their mother.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and you know what? It's makes me think of the Irish Country Women's Association and the role that they played in pushing forward rural Ireland. Uh, in fact, we often think of the Irish Women's or Irish Country Women's Association today as a quite conservative organisation, which it is, of course. But back in the fifties, well, even the thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties, they were in fact actually quite progressive uh, organisation in a in a very, very, very conservative country, and they're they're often credited with driving forward uh, advancements in farming techniques and. Modernizing the the rural Irish uh, agricultural uh, sector in Ireland. So it's amazing how much a, a role women played and how instrumental they were in encouraging their husbands and sons and daughters to uh, be the best they could be.
1: Yeah, and it's funny, James, that you should say that because I believe not alone did they do that, but they also encouraged each other, because when people were discussing and thinking about ways forward obviously there's great support when there's numbers and it was almost like a team working together and they pooling their resources and sharing their ideas and coming up with different ways forward that they may not have come up with individually so i believe it was a very dynamic organization
0: absolutely it's a a I've read quite a bit about them, and that seems to be the case. In fact, I was reading Dermot Ferriter's book on the history of Ireland in the twentieth century, and and I was surprised by how much he mentioned uh, the Irish Countrywomen's Association and the m- impact that they had in modernizing rural Ireland. It was it's staggering. So it's great to see that you know your your own personal experience, but also at a, at, a, at a historical level that women were so instrumental in, in, in bringing Ireland forward and in encouraging and uh, enabling their their immediate families and wider communities to uh, reach and move towards their potential. So that's excellent. So look, we've we've explored encouragement, what it is and why it's important, and we've looked a bit at the philosophy. We've seen that clearly respect has a lot to do with encouragement and if you respect someone, you're more likely to encourage them and we can see that, in fact, it's respect is not something you get to decide upon, really. You're, according to Kant, you're morally obliged to respect someone so you would imagine then that if you're morally obliged to respect them then you would be morally obliged to encourage them also and avoid discouraging someone. And... I'm just wondering then, how have you applied encouragement in your role as a life and business coach?
1: Yeah, well, I have employed encouragement as a relationship of equals. When somebody comes to me who is stuck at a particular uh, junction in their life and who wants to become unstuck, my job is to facilitate that person to reach the goal that they want to achieve and in doing so I in facilitating them I see that person as equal to me so therefore I don't have any conflict with fully respecting that person and understanding that that person is coming from where they are and I am there to help them. Uh, So therefore, as I see it, I see it as an equal partnership. Okay, so I don't have a problem with that. And respect and encouragement, I believe, go hand in hand for me. Okay, so that's from the life coaching perspective. A part I would like to explore a little bit more this evening is the interview coaching because I have spoken about life coaching in a couple of the different episodes and I think it would be nice to bring a different perspective on it tonight. Now it's saying that I can tell you that many of the skills I have learned in life coaching have absolutely come across and replicated themselves in the interview coaching. But if somebody comes to me for interview coaching, generally it means that that person has been called for a job interview, which effectively means that the the interviewer or the person that's calling them, the organization, would be looking for a particular skill set, and it's very important that first of all I identify the skill set that. The, the organization is looking for and I help the client match the need with the want. So that's really what I'm doing as an interview coach. Now, in order to do that, the first thing is I have to, first of all, see where they're at in relation to how they come across, how well they tell their story because my role is to help them to communicate the skills and abilities they have in the most effective way. And to make sure that they're able to give really good examples of how they can match the job description. So the first thing is I have to put people at their ease. I have to encourage them, even though if they feel they're not quite there at a point in time that I if they work through the process I tell them that I believe it will work out and I honestly believe that it will work out okay I have seen people who have broken down and cried because they felt that they couldn't communicate what they needed to communicate And yet when they worked through the process, they were confident enough to go in and give the best account of themselves. And as a result of giving the best account of themselves, in lots of cases, they actually got the job and were quite good at the job. But my job then, of course, was to give them the confidence to enable them to do that. Which I believe is about encouraging them, showing them what they're doing well, showing them the areas that they need to improve in and supporting them through the process. I believe that there's a number of things I have to look out for in interview coaching. First of all, I have to make sure that they're taking ownership. And taking ownership is speaking in the eye. And if you're not in the eye, you're not telling your story. So it's very important to be in the eye. I also have to give them a level of conviction as to how they tell the story. And by giving them the level of conviction, it means that they can go in, they're convinced themselves that, yes, I have the skills and abilities to do this job, but they're also able to communicate that to the interviewer. And I believe that that's very important. I always have been scrupulously honest with my client in that if I see something that is a distracting mannerism for example they might be fidgeting and that distracts the interviewer and uh, i also believe that really ultimately if you think about interview skills it's about listening thinking and speaking the very same skills we learn in toastmasters so i believe that sometimes people are nervous because they concentrate too much on themselves rather than concentrating on the process of the interview and um Once they learn that you take it one step at a time, you listen, you hear the question. You think about what needs to be weaved in here. And then you need to be able to communicate that in your answer. Generally, my tip to them is you repeat the question in the answer because you're less likely to go off on a tangent if you do that. And it's almost like. The confidence is a learned skill and that if, for example, you are not able to swim, you won't go into the deep end of the swimming pool. However, once you learn to swim, your danger zone becomes your comfort zone. And I see them working through that process. Obviously, the great thing for me is that I can't tell them whether they'll get the job or not. So I can praise them. That's all I can do is encourage them through the process. And enable them to be the best they can be. And I have often said to clients. It's not a tragedy. If you don't get the interview. The tragedy is when you don't give the best account of yourself. And that could be replicated. Throughout all of the other things we spoke about. As well. Because if you're giving the best account of se- of yourself. You are actually. Performance is equaling your potential. And that's brilliant in my opinion.
0: Excellent. It sounds. uh I think Kant at least would very much endorse your approach to helping people with their interviewing.
1: Well, I'd like to think he he would endorse because I am very honest when I say I totally respect where people are coming from. I learned that respect as a young child when, for example, sometimes I made a mistake, but my mother never made a big deal of that mistake she just showed me how to get over that and she helped me to get over it. And that's what I have to do. So I have the utmost respect for my clients, regardless of where they're coming from or what their level of proficiency is. My job is to bring out the best in that person. And that is exactly what I aim to do always, without any exceptions. And I would also like to say That kind of thinking and that level of respect, I saw that being communicated on an ongoing basis in the Toastmasters clubs that I have been involved in. So, therefore, I have learned that. I have learned it. And I see with respect, with encouragement, that people are definitely empowered they really are empowered and some i i have learned as well to respect process and to enable people to work through the process because sometimes when you see where people begin and having worked through the process where they end up with those words of encouragement it just you make it makes you believe that yes you can give people the roots to grow and the wings to fly. And in fact, one little girl whom I had in a Toastmasters group in a school situation, when she went off to be a speech therapist, she was asked to be the class rep. And she sent me back a little card just acknowledging my input into her being able to take on the job as class rep because I had ran these toastmasters clubs in in the schools and what was on the card was you never know how high you can fly until you spread your wings
0: excellent that's amazing um clearly i'm i i i, I have to say that after that conversation i'm feeling more encouraged than i was before i started so thanks a million sheila uh, is there anything you'd like to say to finish off the, the episode.
1: Well, James, as I generally finish with a quote, you, I think you you it do would You usually
0: <laughs> finish with a quote, indeed.
1: I think it would be apt that I finish with a quote okay, tonight. Brilliant, thank you. Okay. People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that's from Maya Angelou. And honestly, I would just like to say that my aim is always to make people feel that, yes, I can do it. I can do it if I take the responsibility, if I work through the process, if I reflect on what you have told me. And particularly in the interview skills, I always make sure that I have recorded the conversation. And they become... uh, they. They come to a new level. That's the bottom line. So I will say again that last line, people will never forget how you made them feel.
0: Brilliant. Thanks a million, Sheila.
1: Thank you, James.
0: Hi, folks. If you enjoyed this episode, please do give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow or subscribe on whichever platform you listen to this podcast on. Thanks. Bye.